This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm joined, as always, here on Season 3 and Beyond by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing this week? Hey, Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited. This is kind of our first normal episode, if you will, where we're kind of getting into the interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. Let me ask you, because I, you know, kind of the counselor in me, you said pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, I'm doing really good. I, yeah, it's exciting. We, you know, we launched our first episodes last week and, you know, it's great seeing those off and running. You know, I know we were just talking about before, you know, before we jumped on here about the start of the new school year and just, you know, that season of transition, I'm sure there are plenty of others who are, you know, starting up the new semester and juggling the joys and the, the and just the, we are going to get through these first few weeks yeah. and find our rhythm. And um, yeah, but it's been really good. Callie starts soccer this week. So I'm like super excited about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, so it's been, it's been really good. 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 Yeah. What about you? Uh, it's, I'm doing well. Kind of a lot of the same, uh, obviously I don't have kids that are as old as you, um, but a lot of kind of transitions, you know, yeah. uh, Gray is going to daycare for the first time. So we've been kind of navigating what that looks like and finding one that we're comfortable with and all that. And then, you know, Brooke yeah. is back at work, um, doing campus ministry stuff as those classes launch. And so kind of figuring out what those look like and what, as I guess, probably the past, you know, two, three months have been like one long transition for me in finishing yep. grad school and starting yeah. counseling jobs and stuff. Um, and so still kind of on the tail end of like, what does all of that look like? How do we establish like a normal rhythm? Like what does our life look yeah. like now without grad school and with a baby and, you know, kind of all that stuff. So, you know, kind of similar back to school vibe, even though yeah. not necessarily back to school, but just kind of getting in the swing of things and um, adjusting to, to all that. So you know, lots yeah. of transitions, but all good transitions yes, um, is kind of what I've been telling people when they ask. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Did you have a good birthday last week? I did. So we <laughs> didn't plan this out. Actually, we didn't mean to do this, but the, right, right, right. I thought it was so funny that the Wednesday we released the episode that was essentially an interview with me about the history of, of CXMH and all that ended up being on my birthday. So I love that. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I know that wasn't something that we had originally planned, but it kind of just fell in and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So definitely good. This will air on Monday, but we're we're recording it kind of the end of the week before this Monday. So this weekend we'll have some friends over to watch college football and stuff like that. So since Wednesdays, you know, we were both working and all that. So um, this weekend will be kind of a little more of the having people over and stuff, uh, not, not a party per se, because mostly it's just let's watch some college football and whatnot, but 
yeah. um, you know, kind of hosting that type of thing. So that'll be really fun. That's so awesome. I love that. I hope you all have such a good time this weekend and just to get to celebrate you and, you know, just be around people that you care about. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, you're, if you can make that drive in the next couple of days, feel free. I know, right? Are yeah, you, I'll be right there. <laughs> I've wondered this. I've always meant to ask you, are you a big Baylor fan since you work oh, there, obviously? I know. I was waiting for that because I was like, I'm not Steve and I'm probably not going to start going on, like getting my boxing gloves on with <laughs> like college football. Um, but I am a big fan up to the point of like what's feasible for my family right now. So we, you know, like I keep up with generally like how we're doing and I do know Baylor football fans are just like they I mean, they bleed green and gold. Like it is hardcore how just how Baylor fans are, which I love, especially around homecoming season. Yeah. But with Callie being six and Oliver being two and a half, my husband and I have not braved taking them to one of the football games just yeah. because <laughs> the heat and then knowing how our two precious little babies are, um, they I think we would be running up and down the stairs chasing after them. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we watch some stuff from home, but you know, we've gone to a couple of the of the events around the stadium, but I am not ready to bring them in there yet. So yeah. no, it totally makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. But I do know the nice thing though is in Texas, at least it's finally starting to get a little bit cooler. And I yeah. mean, when I say a little bit, I still mean like low nineties, but um, <laughs> But like being able to see some rain coming has been nice. And, and so I am hopeful that we'll be able to go to at least some events um, over on campus and maybe a game this year. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. What? But you guys, I mean, you and Brooke, y'all follow. Oh, God. Yeah. You, you guys follow football pretty hardcore, right? Yeah. I mean, we're both Auburn fans. That's where we uh, graduated from. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's where we both graduated from undergrad. Um, where we met and, and all that. So pretty big Auburn fans. That's so awesome. Yeah, it is exciting that it's starting up. And I love, I think I feed off of the energy of the our, our Baylor students and alum and just how they're getting into it all right now. So it's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of starting up, this is, as we kind of mentioned in the beginning, our first uh, full kind of normal episode where we do an interview with somebody that's not you or I. Uh, so how how was it as a new co-host how was being on kind of the interviewing side as opposed to being the interviewee which you have been yeah yeah that I mean it, it was I think I'm really starting to see how excited I am in terms of being at that um, you know as I mentioned in I think that first episode just being at the um, like having that front row seat to some of these episodes um, and these conversations so I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was awesome because I'm getting to ask, you know, these questions, especially with Dr. Tarlow was, it was so fun getting to talk with him. Um, but it's just so neat that we get to listen to these conversations and we get, or, you know, we get to have these conversations, but then get to just kind of sit back and, and learn. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the things that I love about this is, you you know you're bringing names of folks that I haven't heard of before, and I'm bringing names of folks that you haven't heard of before. Yeah. And so, being able to just have these conversations and and ask questions and be curious and to learn and sit back and listen and I just this whole process. I mean, 
I love it. I love it. So nice to, to not be the one being interviewed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You get to sit back a little bit more. I always, I always kind of joke, but the, the less that I can talk in an interview, the better, because it means that the guest is, has a lot to say and is sharing. No, that's awesome. So we talk this week with Dr. Kevin Tarlow. He is the founder and the editor of a website called lowcosthelp.com. That is kind of a directory of, as, as you would imagine, low-cost mental health providers throughout the country. There's a handful of resources like that that we, that we talk about kind of at the end, and so we'll obviously link all those in the show notes. Yep. One of Kevin's jobs that he's had in the past is helping people helping connect people with, you know, when they say, Hey, I'm moving or whatever, trying to find them low cost help wherever they go. And I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, but this is one of the questions that maybe the question that I get asked the most from people I know or people online or whatever it is, is, Hey, how do I go about finding mental health treatment, counseling or inpatient facility or whatever it is? How do I go about finding that? Because I'm just kind of Googling and I don't know yeah. how insurance works. I don't know what these terms mean and things like that. Right. So, well, and who to trust, who's reputable, who's, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. And, and we talk about that a ton in this episode. So not just his site, but we talk about a number of other resources to be able to identify, um, mental health care providers, which I just thought was such a great conversation. Yeah. So um, one just extra bonus. If you, uh, really find this interesting, we talk some about kind of what the barriers are to getting treatment and, and things like that. If, that is you know interesting to you and you want to hear more about that back in episode 29 i think it is we got to talk mm-hmm. with dr david sussman uh, about why people don't get mental health treatment so what the barriers are and how we can kind of work to counteract some of those how we can help overcome some of those with people so um, that episode yeah. is definitely worth going back and listening to anyway but especially if you find this conversation interesting in terms of how we can help people get more access to affordable treatment and just treatment in general. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I agree. Well, hey, without further ado from us, we'll go ahead and transition into the episode. As always, hit subscribe, connect with us on social media, give us ratings and reviews, all that good stuff. There's all the ways that you can help support the show if you like it in the show notes. Tons of links there, so I won't take up the time here. But here is our episode with Dr. Kevin Tarlow. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm your host, and I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing so good. I'm super excited about this episode. I think it's going to be a really helpful one, a really practical one. Uh, it touches on a topic that actually is like one of the most common questions that I get asked from mm-hmm. from people, so super excited about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, let's uh, introduce our guest here. Our guest today, we're joined by Dr. Kevin Tarlow. He is a counseling psychologist and an assistant professor of psychology at Hampton University. He studies psychotherapy, trauma, telepsychology, and mental health disparities, and is the creator and editor of lowcosthelp.com, which is a directory of affordable counseling services in the United States. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Other than, uh, you know, kind of the official bio there, is there anything that you want to tell the audience about yourself? You know, any fun facts or anything? (laughs) Fun facts. Um, (laughs) You know, I, 
I am right now sitting in my un- half-unpacked new house in Virginia in the Richmond area. I just moved here this week, so oh, wow. everything is kind of upside down for me right now, but I'm I'm glad I could meet with you. I'm coming from Texas, which is where I've been mostly with Texas A&M University for, for my doctoral training, and then I worked with the university for the last year in the School of Public Health studying a bunch of different things, including telepsychology. Um, I'm coming from, from there uh, where I worked with the uh, telehealth counseling clinic, um, and that's a clinic that uses telepsychology. So um, providing services through video conferencing and telephone, um, mostly to low-income and uninsured folks living in our community, um, which is a, a pretty large geographic area, mostly rural. Um, and so I've been kind of working in this idea of how to provide services to people who may not have easy access to affordable care. I also worked with, um, going back a few years, I worked with the the university uh, student counseling service where I did, uh, I was a referral coordinator doing more case management stuff there with students. Again, helping people find um, helping people get connected with with counseling services, often when they don't have clear options available to them through things like health insurance. So this is something I've been doing for a while. I'm really glad that I could talk to you both about it. Sure. Um, hey, I was just listening as you're talking about, you know, where you had come from and, you know, hearing and, and taking a look at your CV and seeing that, you know, you, you got your, your undergrad at a and I'm sorry that I'm not an Aggie, but I am just <laughs> up... <laughs> I am just up the road from where you were at uh, at Baylor, actually. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So just you know, I you know, as you're talking about the rural population out there yeah. in that setting, it's just being in McLennan County, not too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we just crossed over into not being considered rural, but but this is a really you know, this is just a pressing need in this area out here. So and um, and rural mental health is is very kind of close to my heart too. Being in, from Texas and, and living in Texas and working in Texas for so long, Texas has, um, I guess this is a fun fact, not so much about me, um, but about the state of Texas, uh, has more people living in rural communities than any other state in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you add that and you, and you look at kind of the disparities that we find in access to, to health care, to mental health care, to all kinds of different health care, it's really, um, it's it's really difficult for folks living in those communities to access services when they need them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredibly important. Well, I do want to ask you a bunch of questions specific to, you know, that access to mental health care, um, especially in rural settings. But do you mind if I, if I back up for a moment and Absolutely. ask you, I would love to hear a little bit about what got you into counseling and psychology in the first place. I mean, especially seeing, this is something that you got your bachelor's degree in. You've been interested in this for a long time. Tell us about kind of what got you into this. Um, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had a, a great, you know, eloquent answer for how I ended up <laughs> in this area. I'm not sure that I, I do. I, you know, I was, I think back to it's so long ago, I was um, a senior in high school thinking about what I wanted to major in going into college. And I had mm-hmm. a short list of things and I picked psychology and I kind of never looked back. I'm really glad that it worked out the way that it did, but I did kind of getting into to an undergraduate program in psychology exposed me to a lot of the different topics that I became 
kind of more involved and interested in later on. I actually did get exposed. I think it's so important, you know, for undergraduate students, especially in psychology, when they have opportunities to do research. I got to yes. do research oh my gosh, um, yes. actually with somebody, with a professor who ended up being, you know, in the department I ended up in many years later as a doctoral student, but doing kind of doing telecounseling with uh, at-risk youth in the Texas Gulf Coast region. Um, and so it was like I, I kind of took a, a long route to come back. I I decided I was interested in pursuing, you know, a career in doing counseling, psychotherapy. I did a master's at Columbia uh, Teachers College, Columbia in, in New York. That really got me just exposed to doing therapy. Um, decided I... I Teaching has always been really important to me as well and, and working in higher education. And so that's kind of what uh, encouraged me to come back and, and do my, my PhD. And I, I did do that back at A&M where I did okay. my undergrad. So it's, it's strange. I, I, again, I didn't really have a master plan starting out. It's just kind of this is how it's worked out. And I'm really grateful that I'm where I'm at now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think that sometimes there's a lot of pressure on, especially on young people, to to have it all figured out. And I guess I'm kind of a good counterexample. I did not have anything figured out, and yet it, it worked out okay. Because no. I had some really good mentors along the way, and uh, and I'm I got really lucky with that. So yeah. yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, I would echo that. I loved even just hearing you talk about that research experience in undergrad. Um, it's so so near to, to my story too and I always try to encourage students just get involved you just you never know yeah. they actually really enjoy it so and it, um, and it could be I think it can be research experience I've, I've gotten yeah. I got lucky um, during my postdoc year this past year um, getting to work with some undergraduate research assistants and, and just working with undergraduates I've been in kind of the graduate training world for so long and I, I'm, I worked with students who are so bright and, and gifted and are doing not only doing research, but, you know, some of them have found opportunities to work in, you know, clinical settings, volunteering at like hospitals and treatment centers. And I think that's that can also be another way to just get exposed to what the practice of psychology can look like outside of the classroom. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Kevin, let me ask you this, because I know you talked about doing a lot with telemental health, like helping people in rural areas getting access to mental health treatment. And then, you know, I mentioned in your bio there that you are the, the founder and the editor of lowcosthelp.com, which is a, a way of connecting people with affordable counseling services. So what what inspired you uh, to uh, do those types of things? Like, hey, I'm going to start a website helping people find affordable treatment and things like that. I mean, what inspired yeah. that passion? Yeah, so that goes back to um, when I came back to Texas from New York, I was working, as I mentioned a minute ago, I was, I was working in the, the student counseling service at Texas A&M University. It was sort of my part-time graduate assistant work that kind of helped, helped me pay the bills. And I was doing mostly referral coordination. So when students, for any number of reasons, were being referred out of the, the, the student counseling center, I was the one that helped them locate services that were appropriate to their needs. And again, Texas, in addition to having more rural people than any other state, we have one of the highest rates of uh, people without health insurance. Um, mm -hmm. So I often encountered students um, who, for any number of reasons, maybe it might have been financial reasons, couldn't afford health insurance, students who are undocumented and, and aren't able to access health insurance. Lots of different reasons why students might not have access to the um, kind of typical 
private practice therapy providers. That was a very frustrating experience for me to constantly kind of be encounter these students who just didn't have very many options. Um, in working with those students, I did find that there were that there were resources in our community and and outside of our community that did you know provide um, high quality ser- you know counseling services to people without health mm-hmm. insurance or people who couldn't otherwise okay. afford care. Um, but those were often not known to me or to other uh, other mental health professionals and definitely not to the students who are kind of just looking for help. And so yeah. um, I think there's – well, the way that I think about it and the way that I started to think about it, this is going back to 2012 um, when I was working in this position, there's kind of a deficit in two different things. We don't have enough care. We don't have enough care providers. We don't have enough affordable care yeah. um, for mental health. And and I think in this country, but there's also I think totally separate from that, there is a real deficit in and I think good information about how to find care that does exist that you do have available to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that kind of in my small capacity, I thought I could I could help, not necessarily fix the problem of mental health care shortages in the United States, but can I make it maybe a little bit easier for people to connect? with the resources that are in their community that maybe they just don't know about. Um, yeah. So that was really, I, I started trying, I started building this kind of in-house database just very informally as part of my job to try and help connect students. And, and part of my position was getting students connected. We might have students that were graduating and headed back to their hometowns and saying, hey, I've been in counseling for the last semester. I really need help finding uh, mm-hmm. a new therapist. But I don't have health insurance and I'm going back to my, you know, it's my home in Arlington. Can you help me find something? This has been really helpful for me this past semester and I want to keep doing the work that I've been doing with a new therapist. Um, and so my, my little kind of database became very large actually dealing with students that were, were moving out of town, headed to different areas of Texas and across the country. And so when I left that position, and had some time to work on it. That's kind of when I, I started putting this together uh, as really a national directory that was going to serve more than just the Texas area, but uh, trying to, to serve as many people in the United States as possible. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, and I think what you've just described is so common. I mean, I I can't count the number of people that have said, you know, because I feel like we do a pretty good job these days of saying like, hey, if you need help, that's okay. You know, reach out, ask for help, things like that. Like, I feel like we're doing a lot of good work pushing against that stigma. But the next step is where so many people get stuck. They say, okay, fine. Like, you know, I finally decided I'm going to take this big intimidating step. And then, I mean, what do you do? You Google, ask somebody. I mean, even if you have health insurance, a lot of times... It's still really mm-hmm. expensive or yeah. they don't take health insurance. So why is it so hard? Mm-hmm. And this might be larger, like structural, you know, societal things, but why is it so hard to find affordable mental health treatment? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, I can certainly give you my perspective on it, although I think that's a good question for everybody that has anything to do with the uh, healthcare system in this country to to talk about and discuss because there's yeah. so many aspects to why it's hard to access care. I think one is the stigma is that it's not it's often not okay to talk about mental health problems and that makes it harder to to search for care. I think there's just we need better education on like what okay so so I'm depressed. Maybe I finally am able to come to terms with having something like depression or anxiety or relationship problems. How do I go about 
talking about that? What are the words that I use? Who do I ask for help? How yeah. do I explain my problem? You know, if I if I have yeah. a fever of 103, I know how to explain that to my doctor so that they mm-hmm. can direct me to the best resources. But I think in some ways, maybe there's a lack of a basic vocabulary of mental health. You know, mm-hmm. how do I describe the problems I'm going through? Who then? Who do I go to? You know, a lot of people don't have a like a prime. I I I say this. I realize I haven't had a, a primary care doctor uh, like in a few years now, and that's mm-hmm. my own fault because I'm <laughs> I've been bad at getting connected with a primary care doctor. But that's a great resource that many people lack is just having one point of connection to their um, yeah. their their circle of healthcare. And if you don't have that relationship established, and in the way that I think our health insurance and healthcare system is structured, it makes it hard to to have that one solid connection with a primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then there are other barriers I think for those physicians to have the time and resources to to be a good hub that refers people out to the specialists that they need. It's a full-time job knowing how to navigate the healthcare system, and especially if you're looking for something like mental health care, it can be very hard. Um, yeah. I don't know that that totally answers your question, but I, I think that it, it has to do with we don't know necessarily how to talk about what I need and, and who I need. Like, how many times have I sat with a client who doesn't know the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? And that's something that yeah. me as a health, yeah. as a mental health provider, can really take granted because, of course, I know what the difference is, but I can't expect all of my clients to know the difference and to know how to ask for what they need. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I love that you're bringing up is the important role that the primary care physician can have, especially in thinking about your interests within rural settings where there may not even be that much access to mental health care providers. You know, you mentioned that that primary care physician being a good hub, but as you mentioned, a lot of times they don't have the time or the resources to be able to even address the mental health side when they're just trying to treat, you know, some of these more common physical illnesses that are being brought in. I know there's some who are doing work on what's called integrated behavioral health, where, you know, we're trying to have a staff member, often often a social worker, being you know on staff within a primary care office to help to identify some of those mental health or behavioral health needs and to be able to refer out. But that's not always accessible. Absolutely. Um, in every setting. So. And and I do want to I do want to point out too. I think like family doctors, general you know you know general practitioner physician. Those are some of the I think some of the hardest working healthcare providers you know oh, yeah. in our in our country. Um, and certainly the financial incentives are are really stacked against them to see as many people as possible. It's definitely it's incentivized for for healthcare providers to specialize because they can they can pay off their student loans a lot faster. Um, it's it's really hard to be a primary care provider, and there's certainly not enough primary care providers, and there are definitely not enough primary care providers uh, in the communities that most need them. Um, and that's true of mental health care, too. This is, a, I think, another piece of trivia. I need to get my Virginia trivia in order because I just moved here and I live here now. But in Texas, two-thirds of all psychologists, all practicing licensed psychologists, two-thirds of them in the state live in the five most populous counties. Oh so basically, gosh. 
you know, Harris County in Houston, yeah. um, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, that's, that's two thirds of all the providers live in mm. five counties. Mm. Um, so even if we had more, you know, all the, the psychologists or all the primary care doctors, we need, we're, they're not necessarily in the communities that most need their services. So yeah. that's why things like, te- like telehealth, I think, does offer some, you know, some ways of reaching folks that, that live in these shortage areas. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. So I'm actually I'm in Georgia, and I don't know the exact specifics, but I know it's a, a similar thing where there's a bunch of rural parts of Georgia. But if you're in, you know, Atlanta mm-hmm. or any of the bigger cities, there's maybe still not enough, but there's definitely way more mental health options. But I mean, you go an hour outside of one of those cities, and you're gonna, you know, someone's gonna say, "Well, drive an hour to go to counseling," which isn't particularly feasible for for most people. Yeah. We talk, I know that especially in the public health world, we, we talk about like things like food deserts, living in a place without access to good food. And I think there are healthcare mm-hmm. deserts too, where you don't have, you know, access to, to good healthcare. Um, and it may have nothing to do with your means. It may just be about what zip code you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's really, that's really good. So I guess building then on telehealth care, as you've been talking mm-hmm. about, and, you know, in your site, low cost help, are there any other... I don't know, recommendations or ideas that, that you would offer about how someone would go about finding affordable treatment in their setting or in their area? And maybe just maybe in, in two parts, one just in general, but then since you have this expertise in rural areas, do you have any advice for that area specific? So, yes, yeah, so I guess in two things. One is um, one of the things I found very, very often, it was surprising to me, Maybe it shouldn't have been surprising, but in working, doing that kind of referral coordinator work that I mentioned back at the student counseling center, in working with students who were transferring their care out of the the counseling center, trying to find a, a new option for treatment, so many of these students, and, and I think many, I think many of us don't necessarily know what our health insurance policies cover. Um, even for people who do have health insurance, may not know that they have access to to counseling and that it may be it may actually be very affordable so I think the very the first thing you should do if you do have health insurance um, you probably do have coverage for some some well, what's usually what the insurance companies call behavioral health care um, which is just mental health care under a different name um, and so the first thing I'd always recommend, and I often went through this process with the, the people that I work with in that, in that job, is, you know, get your insurance card. If you have one, get your insurance card, flip it over on the back. There's going to be a 1-800 number. It's usually going to say something like member services um, or customer service, and call that number. This is the, sometimes the most anxiety-provoking part of the process is just mm-hmm. calling some 800 number for my insurance company, which sounds like a really scary thing, and it, it sounds like I'm going to end up spending three hours on the phone and getting no answers um, because that's what I think most of our experiences with customer service look like. Uh-huh. Um, what I think is actually what I found because I, I spent much of my job on the phone with, with insurance company customer service. They're actually often very helpful and sometimes this can be as, as brief as a five or ten minute phone call. So call that 800 number. Um, they're going to ask you for your, you know, your, your member ID number, your date of birth, your name, all that stuff. Um, and then you're going to talk to a real human being. It's not going to be a robot, you know, that tells you to dial three for this and dial five for this. And what all you need to ask them is, can you help me understand what my behavioral health benefits are for individual counseling? Those are some of the keywords that it helps to mention behavioral health, 
individual counseling, or sometimes saying outpatient counseling, um, or outpatient psychotherapy, therapy in an office setting. Those are just some of the terms that these insurance companies use um, to describe what we would call counseling or therapy. Yeah. And, you, you know, they, they passed a law back in 2008, the mental health parity law, um, that says that if your insurance provider, do, you know, provides mental health coverage, they have to provide coverage at an equal rate to your other health benefits. So if your copay to see your primary care doctor is $20, your copay to see your therapist is probably $20. Um, and usually usually there are, there are no, because um, the Affordable Care Act, mental health and substance use treatment is one of the 10 essential benefits that's covered um, by, by most health insurance plans. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that uh, usually you don't have to meet any kind of deductible. You can just pay your copay. And so a lot of people don't realize they may have access to counseling for as low as $20 a session, which many people can budget for. Now, not everyone can, um, but many people can make that type of budget work. And, it, and some, sometimes it's just about knowing what are, my, what are my benefits, what are my options. And usually if you get on that phone and call that 800 number, then that person on the other line, they can explain to you what your coverage is, and then they can also help connect you with nearby providers or tell you there's a website you can go to, type in your zip code, it'll show you where all the therapists are in your area. Um, so that's, like, that's I think, a really good first step is just understanding, hey, what if I have insurance, what does that cover? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be the first thing, and, and again, I found that many people just didn't understand and didn't know the right questions to ask or who to talk to and, and how to find out what options they do have. Yeah. Now, if you don't have insurance, I think there are still often many options. One is to go to lowcosthelp.com and search <laughs> search for your, <laughs> your community and see if you're in there. We're in, I think, around five, over 500 cities in all 50 wow. states. I'm sorry, 500 uh, clinics, I think over 350 cities. I said that wrong. Yeah, so so there may be something that we've got on there for you as well. You can search for some of the good terms if you do, you know, sometimes people are good at Google, but knowing the right terms to type in um, can be helpful. So searching for things like sliding scale counseling in uh, Richmond, Virginia, which is where I live now. That would be what I would type in to find affordable counseling nearby. Um, using that word sliding scale. Um, these are often clinics that are more income sensitive, that do not require health insurance. Often they're funded through grants. Um, they're nonprofits. They're government-funded agencies that offer, you know, often a range of services in addition to, to mental health care um, at reduced rates. And usually the rates are calculated based on your ability to pay or based on your income. And so that's a, a good keyword to search for is, is sliding scale mental health or sliding scale counseling near me. Um, that's a great way to find resources that may be able to offer you what you need in terms of support. Yeah. Um, that's so good. That's I'm good. so glad you defined yeah. that because one of the next yeah. questions I had was, you know, for people, <laughs> they're, they're looking and they're not quite sure. And there's things like, you know, income-based payment or sliding scale or some of those terms, which yeah. mean nothing to anybody who has never heard that term before. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I think it can be, a, it adds another element of trying to navigate something when maybe you're not even in, you know, the best mood to navigate something, you know, you're trying to find yeah. help and, you know, no, and that's such a, I think that's such an important point that I know for me as, as a, uh, mental health care provider, I don't often do a good job of, of remembering 
this is a scary thing to navigate. And it's especially hard when you are in crisis or where you are in need. And, and I'm not at my best. Clearly, I'm not at my best because I'm looking for help. It can be really hard to do all of this. This is work. I don't want it to make it sound like this is, oh, this is as easy as picking up a phone and calling an 800 number or typing in a Google search. This is a lot of work to call someone to ask for help, to maybe get redirected or say, hey, we can see you, but it's going to be a month because we have a wait list. This is all hard to do. And so I think if you are that person that's looking for help and I don't know what my options are, and maybe I have health insurance or maybe I don't, and I don't know if I can afford help, I think sometimes a really good first step is find someone that um, is in your your support circle, you know, that, that circle of people that you can lean on. Um, find someone that you can talk to about this and say, hey, I'm trying to, to get myself help. Can you help me make some phone calls? Or can you help me do this Google search? Can you be my accountability person that's going to ask me next week, hey, did you make that phone call? Whatever it is that you need, um, sometimes asking for that little extra help to get you connected can make a big difference. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think we sh- any of us should have to do this alone. It's it's hard enough for me as someone who knows how this all works. You know, the last time I had to seek seek help from a therapist, uh, it's a, it's an overwhelming thing to do. And that's for me as someone who knows how this all works and knows the right questions to ask and the right things to say. Yeah. Um, so. So find someone that can can help you through this process if possible because that can make a really big difference. I think that's such a good point. I tell this story a lot. I don't know if I've ever told it on this show, but I, I tell it to other people a lot. But the first time I ever went to counseling was because a friend of mine was like, hey, I really think you should go to counseling. I'm worried about you. And I straight up said, if you call and make the appointment, then like I'll go, you know? Yeah. And so it was that person being willing to do that and then, you know, driving with me and just sitting in the waiting room. But someone saying, hey, I'm willing to do the things that I can do to help get you where you need to be. And I, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't have gone without that. And, you know, here I am a bunch of years later doing that. So, you know, I think that's so important. This idea of like coming alongside people and asking people to come alongside you. I think that's, that's such a good point. No, I, I worked working in the, in this student counseling center. I think I saw that a little bit more often um, where I would, I, I did later on, I, I did my internship um, and, and did other graduate training as a therapist when I was no longer working as a, as a case manager there. So I was working with students as a therapist and I, I would sometimes get the student that says, yeah, I'm here because my friend brought me and they're sitting in the waiting area. Yeah. And I always made a point to tell those, those clients, you know, on their way out, please tell your, your friend, tell your roommate, I said, thank you for bringing you here. Oh, um, because awesome. sometimes, sometimes that's, that's a huge thing that we can do for the people that we care about is making sure they get the help that we think they need, um, that maybe they're too intimidated, you know, or, or too distressed to get for themselves. So I think that's, that's amazing. And thinking about the, the impact that that friend had for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. One thing. Yeah. I, I just think that what the both of y'all are saying is, is so beautiful. And, and I, I do hope that, you know, anyone who is listening to this episode, um, regardless of what role they might be playing in either walking alongside someone um, who is struggling with mental health concerns or, you know, is able to provide some of those services or maybe even connect them with your website um, to be able to, you know, identify 
possible uh, places in which they can receive help. I just, one thing I do hope is that, you know, the listeners are thinking about, man, like we could, we, we all get to play a role in this process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I really, I really like how the both of you are, are highlighting that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin, do you, are there any other resources that you would recommend for folks looking for uh, treatment in their area? Yeah. So, um, some different resources that I've found helpful. Um, you know, if you can, even if you don't have health insurance, if you're not sure where to go for more affordable options, um, sometimes if you can find, you know, a provider in your, in your community and ask them, Hey, do you know of any referral options? Cause often people in a private practice setting will know much better than, than clients. They will know who's working in the community and, and who are maybe the folks that are providing more affordable care. And so sometimes it, it feels like more of an indirect route, but sometimes that can actually be a really fast way to get connected is, is to get a referral from, um, from a therapist, somebody that's working in maybe have a private practice setting. That's a great way to find resources if you're looking for them. Um, one of the things that if you're living near a college or university that has a student counseling center, they're often, again, I know because that was, that was me and I often got contacted by people who were not students who were just living, you know, in the, mm. in the mm. community who were looking yeah. to, Hey, I'm not a student. I don't know any students. I just live here. Can you help me find someone that, I can see for an affordable rate, you'd be surprised just reaching out to those counseling centers that are working in universities. Um, They may know where the affordable options are because they're probably referring students to those same resources as well. Um, So if you do live near, uh, you know, in any kind of institution of higher learning, that's a good thing to check out. Also, if you are living in a college town or you live near a university that has any kind of graduate training in psychology, often universities will run their own training clinics that do offer low-cost counseling options. As many of the options that you'll find on lowcosthelp.com are university-based counseling centers, and they, they serve two purposes. The first purpose is training. They're, they're just like you would have in, in a teaching hospital. Most, you know, most major metropolitan areas have at least one teaching hospital that is usually one of the best hospitals in the region. And it serves that purpose of training young medical professionals. So in the same way, universities often run training clinics for mental health care providers and, and psychologists in training and, and therapists in training who are working under the supervision of a licensed a psychologist or counselor. So they have that that ability to provide high quality services and they're because they're a training clinic they're able to do so at usually a very low fee. Um, sometimes they're even free. Uh, they provide free services. Um, so that's another thing to look into. Um, if you're looking for affordable options, um, see if you if there's a university nearby, one, do they have a counseling student counseling center? They might be able to refer you. Two, do they operate any kind of training clinic for mental health graduate training? Because they probably provide low-cost services as well. Yeah. Those are a couple more, I think, tricks that I've just found can be a good way <laughs> to, to find affordable options. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there are a lot of different directories of um, mental health providers. Um, one of the biggest ones, and I think, one of the ones that has 
high quality information is the psychology today therapist directory it's a national directory yeah i believe it's therapist.psychologytoday.com it'll bring you to a screen you just type in your zip code or your city that you live or your the town that you live and it will it will show you it is not a comprehensive list it does not show everybody but it's kind of like facebook for therapists mm-hmm. where people yeah. create yeah. a profile and and it's there's an option to search for if you have insurance you can search for people that take your insurance or you can search for therapists that offer a sliding scale um mm-hmm. therapists when they say sliding scale can mean different things a sliding scale might be as low as ten dollars per session for some therapists i find they think sliding scale means oh seventy dollars per session is cheap and that's maybe cheap for them i don't know about you i don't think i could pay seventy dollars per, <laughs> se- you know, per session every week yeah. um some people can and that's fantastic when people have that ability but You'll find a mix of things there, but that's a good directory because usually the information is very up to date. Yeah. Um, and again, let's say I, let's say I can't find an option that's affordable for me. There's probably still someone working nearby, some therapist. Mm-hmm. You can contact them and say, "Hey, I'm I'm looking for um, for help. I can't afford your rate. Do you know of anybody nearby that might?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, and there's another, I love, you know, the, the database that you had mentioned. There's also another one I want to highlight. I don't know if you've heard of this one that's called help pro. Um, so it's H E L P P R O.com that they, that's a big hub for clinical social workers as well. Yes. Um, so that's another one that I want to toss out there as one to consider, but I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those, those, those types of sites are so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's Good. that's great. Open that's path a great collective resource. is one as well. Open path, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Good. if you want to connect with Kevin, you can find him at ktarlow.com or you can check out lowcosthelp.com or you can find him on Twitter at krtphd or at lowcosthelp. If you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on pretty much any social media at Robert Vore. Kevin, any closing thoughts for our listeners today <laughs> before we before we go? Uh, no, I, I think you guys helped me cover everything. Thank you so much. I really, um, really appreciate you helping me talk to, to folks about this. It's something, like I said, it's very... It's a passion of mine, and I hope to keep working on this. If you're looking for low-cost options and you're not finding something in your area, you can always um, reach out to me through the lowcosthelp.com website. Sometimes I can help find uh, resources that may not be listed yet. I'm constantly finding things and adding them to the website. So um, I'd I'd love to also be a resource to people who are looking for for help. So please do reach out. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Thank Thank you you. for joining us, but also for providing this resource. I mean, like I said, it's probably one of the most common questions I get asked from people is like, Hey, what if I can't afford, you know, how do I find a therapist that isn't a million dollars? You know, so people like you who are trying to put together resources, I mean, that's so critical and helpful and so needed. So thank you for that. And, you know, for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah. You're very welcoming. Thanks, Kevin. All right. You have a great day. (laughs) Thanks. You too. too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com.
A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.